Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. Hello, this is Craig Powell. I'm also one of the elders at Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. Today we're turning our attention, at least initially, to the parable of the unjust judge. It's found in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Again, that's Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And Jacob, would you mind reading those, please? Yeah. It says, And he was telling them a parable to show that At all times they ought to pray and not become discouraged, saying, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect any person. Now there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my opponent. For a a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God nor respect any person, yet because this widow is bothering me, I will give her justice. Otherwise, but continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unrighteous judge said. Now will God not bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? And will he delay long for them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. Remember, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus had been speaking of his return. And I believe that this parable is spoken with a particular reference to that. The uncertainty of the time of the Lord's return and the supreme importance of being prepared for it as well as the powerful pool of the things of the earth make it imperative that they be persistent in prayer for help from God. This is applicable to all Christians for all times. The argument was simply this. If an unjust judge who doesn't care for God or man would yield to persistent appeals of a poor widow just because he thought that she would annoy him by more and more requests, how much more would a loving and righteous God answer the prayers of his children if they are persistent in prayer? I think that's the point. Jesus' question, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth, has a touch, at least in my opinion, of the mournful to it but it reflects only upon man's wisdom and loyalty. Jesus had repeatedly taught that only a few, comparatively speaking, would walk the narrow way that leads unto life. The answer to his question is that faith will be found on the earth in the hearts of the loyal few. That makes his statement a warning about having faith that will endure. You know, um, the the unjust judge, uh, he... He held to, um, as many of us would call, like the squeaky wheel mentality of, you know, like, I'll just, I'll do this just because this lady's bothering me so much, you know. And um, what a comparison we have between, and we can run into this on on the earth, you know, we see it, uh, you know, in in legal uh, ramblings, you know, uh, a lot of times... uh, you know, um, politics will enter into, you know, you'll see some judgment that comes and it's obviously 
has a political bent to it, even though judges aren't supposed to be, you know, uh, in a certain political party. They're just supposed to determine the law, but they get but they get biased. But um, we have a, a God who is not biased uh, by any man or influenced by um, whining or, or anything like that. He's going to determine us, uh, will judge us by our faith and um, and will answer our, our prayers uh, to his own goodness and uh, to his righteousness. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, as First Thessalonians 5.17 talks about the, you know, pray without ceasing. Um, we're, we're not going to bother God by constantly going to him. He wants to hear us. He wants to hear um, what's going on. He knows already, but it doesn't mean he doesn't want to hear us and hear the requests and different things that we're going through, things we're thanking him for, as we talked about in a previous um, episode recently. Um, just to constantly go in prayer to him. He wants to hear from you. He wants to um, help you. And, and just what a blessing that is, that he is God, and he cares about you and me on an individual level, us as a whole certainly, but on an individual level, wants that relationship with you and to bring justice for his people quickly talks about in verse 8 and it's just such a blessing that we all have let's continue on in luke chapter 18 and look at verses 9 through 14 craig are you there yep would you mind reading them please yes. also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes to all that I possess, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I think the obvious design of this parable is to teach humility. He's been talking about prayer, and he's teaching the necessity of humility in prayer and really in all areas of approach to God. This Pharisee, you can just picture him in your mind if you think about it gone up to the temple to pray. He stood in a place where everybody could see him. And although he addressed God, it was not a real prayer that he offered in any sense of the term. He began by saying, I thank thee, but he was addressing everybody else, including himself, and not God. He was the epitome of self-righteousness. I thank thee, that I am not as other men. He told God how faithful he was and all the good works that he had done. But then on the other hand, there was the publican, a tax collector. He is a study in humility. He would not even look toward heaven, but beat upon his breast and cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The publican was justified. He was forgiven by God. That was not the case with the Pharisee. He did not ask for forgiveness because he didn't think he needed to be forgiven. 
There was no recognition of unworthiness on his part because he truly thought that he was worthy. His attitude makes one wonder why he bothered to pray in the first place, except to be seen by people. Yeah, love the attitude of the tax collector. Just, I mean, God is wanting and able to to hear us. Um, And, you know, for us and all of us in our lives, choosing sin over God, Romans 3.23, um, talks about that and that you know he's we're able to talk to him and he listens um, and uh, go to him in prayer and it's just such a blessing and it's certainly not to have the attitude of the Pharisee who is you know so arrogant and look at how great I am um, it is it's essentially how he's speaking to God and just that the tax collector's attitude is you know God I need you I need your mercy I need I just need you um, in every facet and understanding his place. And for us, it's certainly to have that um, attitude as well. We need God's mercy, his love, his grace, and much more. And it's, again, as Greg was talking about, to humble ourselves and understanding. It's not that we're so great and we can look out at other people and we're better than this person or that person like the Pharisee did, but to understand that it's not a comparison between other people, but looking at how we measure up to God's word and are we living to that and just asking for God's aid and help in that and being thankful that we're, able to, that we're even able to speak to him in the first place. Okay, let's take our study now and turn to Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. It also appears in Mark chapter 10 verses 1 through 12 but we're going to focus upon Matthew's account and it concerns our Lord teaching about marriage and divorce and so Craig would you read Matthew's account please now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and great multitudes followed him and he healed them there The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two, but one flesh." Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Then he said to him, excuse me, they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He was able to accept it. Let him accept it. My friends, Jesus was slowly making his way to Jerusalem and was now traveling through Perea as he did so. It seems apparent 
that he pushed into the southern part of Perea. This is the Lord's final departure from Galilee. He would not return. It was his final journey to Jerusalem and its environs. As we so often see in the case, there were great multitudes following the Lord. Some of them were sick, and Jesus healed them. But there were also some Pharisees present who came to the Lord, and in an attempt to test him or try him, they asked the following question, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for every cause? Mark states their question in a more general way. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? That's the question. Most scholars, and I don't put myself in that group, but most scholars approach this question as related to the two most prominent rabbinical schools of the day and their interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 reads as follows. When a man has taken a wife and married her, and it comes to pass that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it into her hand and send her out of his house. The two most popular views at the time were expressed by Beth Shammai, which says a man should not divorce his wife unless he found her guilty of some unseemly conduct as it says, because he has found some unseemly thing in her. Beth Hael, however, says that he may divorce her even if she has merely spoiled his food, since he says, because he found some unseemly thing in her. And Rabbi Akaba said he may divorce her even if he finds another woman more beautiful than she is. As it says, it comes to pass she find no favor in his eyes. It appears to me that the most logical view of the question of the Pharisees is that they were attempting to align Jesus in opposition to the law of Moses and not to any particular rabbinical school of thought. Earlier in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, Jesus had expressed the truth about the subject. Maybe it was their knowledge of his previous statement, and who knows how many additional times Jesus had spoken on this very subject that made them think, well, maybe we can ensnare him. Let's make it appear that he's teaching something contrary to what the law of Moses taught. It's very important to note that Jesus did not begin his response by appealing to the law of Moses. No. Jesus went back to the beginning, and he referred to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Then Jesus quoted Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This union is by God's decree, and man does not have the right to interfere and separate what God has joined together. Yeah, I think these these verses um, certainly call to mind the, the importance of... Um, of understanding who you're going to marry before even getting to this point, and before the marriage has begun, it's it's important to understand um, that this person that you are deciding to marry, um, and and the commitment that you are making to that person, um, and to God, it, it's something that is not to be taken lightly. Um, it, is the the person you're choosing to 
be married to going to help push you to serve God to the best of your abilities? And is it someone that's going to be a helpful influence to you or someone that holds you back? Um, it's just so important to make sure we make the, the right choices in, in that. It's a very important thing to do. And clearly, as, as shown in God's Word, He does not approve of, of divorce, um, except in, uh, as, it, as listed in verse 9, or divorce his wife except for sexual morality, or excuse me, back in Matthew chapter 5, talking about the, the permissible aspect of, of divorce there, um, and it not being sinful. But um, just, a, just I think something to certainly think about is, are we choosing influences that are going to help us serve God? Yeah, I think it's a great point that, um, you know, in verse 10, it, uh, his disciple said, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry, is that marriage is a serious matter. Uh, we can get that from these verses and, and others as well. And that one that takes foresight on our part to plan, to make uh, a choice that's not a knee-jerk reaction and not something that we can enter into lightly thinking that it's disposable and we can just try again with somebody else if it doesn't work out. Um, there, uh, And if we are in a marriage where, uh, where a sexual immorality has occurred that um, there's permission given here that that it doesn't have to, but that marriage could end. Um, there's a there's an example of in Ezra of Ezra chapter ten of when the Israelites had entered into entered into marriages that they weren't supposed to be in because they had at the time it was against the um, Moses law to marry. Um, foreign wives or pagan wives as it's called and Ezra the priest he tells him in in chapter 10 and verse 10 Ezra the priest stood up and said to them you have transgressed and taken pagan wives adding to the guilt of Israel and the um, there's a response by the people to with a desire to follow God's law now therefore make confessions to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives. Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, yes, as you have said, so we must do. And uh, you know, I'll end the reading there, but they do it. They, they go on and they do what God has commanded for them to do. And, uh, and I, I think it's a point you'll make here, here Greg, is that um, this this teaching is not difficult to understand. It's difficult to apply in our lives uh, when we're caught up in worldly thinking. It seems to me like the Pharisees were either puzzled by Jesus's initial response, or it caused them to think, well, hey, now here's an opportunity where he's opposing Moses. So they asked, why, Mo why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? What Moses permitted or tolerated or suffered was because of the hardness, the dried upness, the toughness of their hearts. It was not God's original intention. And God's law did not approve of divorce for just any reason. 
I believe that Malachi chapter 2 verse 16 makes it very clear how God feels about divorce. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hates putting away. Moses' law did not give God's approval of divorce. It simply states a contingency. In other words, if a man divorces his wife, here is what he must do. Craig, I want to reemphasize the point that you made. Understanding the Lord's teaching in verse 9 is not difficult. But understanding has never really been the problem. The problem lies in accepting what the Lord said. The basic law is, whosoever shall put away his wife and shall marry another commits adultery. And who marries her which is put away commits adultery. Mark shows that this is applicable to both men and women when he adds in verse 12 of Mark 9, and if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she commits adultery. Making this applicable to women as well as men was unheard of in that day and in that time. But again, it's not hard to understand. Divorce for just any old reason is not allowed. If one divorces his or her spouse for any reason and marries again, he or she commits adultery. Not only that, but the one who was put away commits adultery upon remarriage. We might also add, to complete the picture from Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, the one who did the putting away is guilty of causing his or her spouse to commit adultery. To summarize, there is one and only one exception given by Jesus in Matthew 19.9. It is also found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. It is accepted be for fornication or for immorality. If one divorces his spouse for the cause of sexual immorality, then the clear implication is that there is no adultery committed upon remarriage for the innocent one. The put-away party commits adultery upon remarriage. That's not hard to understand. But the fact that it is hard to accept is seen in the response of the disciples and in what Jesus had to say about those who would remain celibate for the kingdom of heaven's sake. The disciples who were listening to Jesus certainly understood what he was saying. They, they got it. And it makes us wonder why people can't get it today. They understood exactly what he was saying. They said, if that's the case of man, it is good not to marry. They clearly saw that Jesus was teaching that marriage was a fixed and irrevocable tie. If the only reason for divorce was immorality, then the union with a woman who was quarrelsome and ill-tempered would create an intolerable situation as far as they were concerned. If that was the case, then they thought it would be better not to marry. We must also consider the fact that Jesus gave the same right to women. This was something that had not even been considered before. How anyone could read this passage and deny what Jesus is teaching is beyond me. The disciples most assuredly understood. The saying to which Jesus referred in verse 11 was not what he had said concerning marriage and divorce in verse 9, but rather the, the statement the disciples had made, it is not good to marry. Not all men were able to live a celibate life and foregoing marriage. Marriage was instituted by God. It was instituted for man's good. 
It is a holy and righteous state to be in. There is only one way for that marriage to end, and that is by sin, and then there can be only one innocent party, if we may put it that way. You know, I, I'm reminded of a uh, of a story that I'll I'll paraphrase and, and shorten and uh, and I don't I don't remember the the preacher that was involved, but he had um, had taught the gospel to a young married couple, and this married couple uh, believed the gospel, uh, took it wholeheartedly, and they were converted and they were baptized into Jesus for the remission of their sins. And they had gone home that evening, and they delved into the scriptures themselves and had thought that uh, their marriage was not one that God would accept because they thought that one of them had been married before and was divorced, and they thought that that limited them from being married to one another. And they came back, they called the preacher in the middle of the night, tearfully, coming to and asked if they they could speak with, go and speak with him. And they came to him and tearfully was saying that they were ready to separate their marriage so that they could live honorably before God. And uh, the preacher studied with them and then found out that their marriage was right in the sight of God because there had been sexual immorality in the previous marriage of the one that was divorced. And they didn't have that understanding. They thought that being divorced and then that would enter into an adultery. But you see two pure-hearted people who were ready to do anything to follow God's word, even to be separate their young, love-filled marriage were ready to follow God's word. People that were ready to understand uh, it and to do what was difficult because they could understand something that, that well, they had misunderstood it at the time, but, uh, but were ready to follow God's word as they understood it, but it was explained to them more, more fully. You know, one of the more difficult things you do as an elder or an evangelist is to tell a couple once you understand the situation that they're in, to tell a couple that they have no right in God's eyes to be married. A very difficult thing to do. But there are those who will respond favorably to that in the sense that they'll take the necessary steps. Probably the majority of the people will not. At least that's been my experience. But the point of the matter is God has spoken, and while it may be a difficult thing to actually put into practice, If we wish to be pleasing in God's eyes, we need to do what he says. The important thing is not so much our happiness here on this earth as our happiness eternally in heaven. And it is a determining factor. Well, that's going to do it for this particular episode. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby.